0: On today's podcast I had Kirsty Lewis who owns School of Facilitation. Um It was a really good call and the thing is with this call is we me and Kirsty had a chat about half an hour before and half an hour afterwards. Um I'll put all the notes in how you can get in contact with Kirsty Lewis and the direct link to her company, School of Facilitation. But yeah, just enjoy the chat um and wait till the end. So on this one, I kind of asked a question at the beginning about the five items but then we kind of ended the call and we had to reset it up so it's a bit like an outtake so yeah if you want to find out what kirstie does with these five items then really do wait until you hear the music right at the end cheers guys i'll hand you over to me and kirstie enjoy To the Mind Gym Podcast. Welcome, Kirsty. Welcome to the Mind Gym Podcast. Uh,
1: thank you very much.
0: It's good to have you here. So, I guess before we even get started to find out about who you are and what you're all about, I just want you to pick five numbers from one to a hundred, if you could, please.
1: Um, number one, yep. nine, seventeen, okay. twenty-two. And eight.
0: And eight. Awesome. We will come to them near the end.
1: Okay.
0: So I guess because when, when I asked you to jump onto the podcast, I asked you to kind of give me um, what your tagline was. And can you remember what it is you, you said?
1: Um, I think I said something along the lines of do what you love. You did indeed. Well done. Well remembered. So
0: why did you pick that?
1: Um, Based on your questions, I was reflecting on why I do what I do. And it's it, an amazing thing and as I've looked back over my life even from when I was at school I've always done what I've loved um and that's always led me to really great things meet great people um and do jobs that I really really enjoy I just didn't realize that for probably the first 30 years of my life though that I was doing everything that I loved doing and that was why everything was probably going the direction that it did go so for example I am um, I studied geography at uni and uh, everyone was like, why are you doing geography? And I just looked at them and I go, well, because I really enjoy it and it's easy and I, I like doing it. It didn't occur to me to do anything other. So, yeah, do what you love. Okay. So, become a bit of a mantra.
0: So, would you say you're doing what you love right now?
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Cool. So, which leads me on to my next question What is it you do now? Who kind of, who are you? What are you all about? I guess maybe give us a bit of a brief bio. Of, of who you are. <laughs>
1: um, so, uh, Kirsty Lewis, a founder of School of Facilitation. And the School of Facilitation, she's just over three years old, um, born from a complete passion for um designing and delivering really great learning in corporates, but also um creating really great learning spaces for practitioners. So people who like myself are facilitators, trainers and coaches. Um and I'm I'm assuming quite a few of your listeners, we, we have day books. We have books where we scribble um, notes in meetings that make us feel important. And um, so I used to have these at Diageo where I used to work. And if I look back at them, and I still have some of them now, the back of those books, I was always um, writing what would make a really great workshop. So I was part of a team that delivered lots of workshops. So I was always critiquing them and thinking what could we do better and how we could do that. So...
0: This all started over twelve years ago in my head. So I guess maybe let's let's go back twelve years ago. So for them who don't know you, you know, I think we've spoken in the past about your kind of your stepping stones to get here, Um, and maybe you could talk to us about you applying for the milk round.
1: Uh, um, I was at Manchester uni and I finished my degree and stepped into the role of sports president at the time, the AU, um, and did a year of sport and organising sports activities. And I was like, God, I've got to get a job. So um, back in 96, it was, applied for various milk round roles. And I got two interviews, one with PNG and and one with Bass Brewers. And, um the only company that took me forward to second interview was Bass. And then, yeah, I got a job with them in um, a sales and marketing role on their grad scheme. So I, yeah, started to work for them and had some very entertaining times. I was a sales rep in the Huddersfield Bradford and West Leeds um, area. So that took me around about Yorkshire, which is brilliant. Um, And then I also lived up in Scotland and worked with the tenants Lager team as well. So I got to go to some cool events up there, Uh, lots of rugby, even the football, and tea in the park at one point. And then from there, I moved to work for Guinness, and I worked in the trade marketing team at Park Royal Brewery in West London. And I joined in 1999 just as Guinness-sponsored the World Cup. So that was my introduction to rugby. And yeah, I got to have my first pint of Guinness ever at Bristol Student Union on 17th of March 1999. And basically, I stayed with Guinness that morphed into Guinness EDV and then Diageo for just over eight years um, in a variety of then sales roles and finally in a capability role, which I guess translates to other people as um, l and And by the time I left Diageo, I was part of the global capability team and had a real amazing time, two and a half years of traveling all over the world, working with um, sales teams, supporting them in creating strategies, delivering plans, coaching line managers to be great line managers, um, running workshops for sales teams to either improve on their Business planning, or their selling skills, even their negotiation skills. So I had a, an amazing, yeah, co- corporate half of my life for the first twelve years. And I think. And then. go, no, go on, go for it. Mm. Well, I don't know if I said it to you. I I looked back at my diary for 2007, and for the first time ever, I wrote a diary, and I reread it um, recently, and I was like, ooh, I wasn't in a very happy place. Um, when you work in the drinks industry, there was just a perception that you do drink, which is very true. But you also work hard and play hard. So I was doing all of that and living a, a social life outside of work. And I think I was just getting really tired and unhappy. So when I resigned, it felt totally right for me. Um, but it was really fascinating other people's reactions of, what, you're leaving a corporate to do what? and. 11 years ago, people weren't doing the freelancing. People weren't working for themselves as more regularly as they are now. So that sort of threw a few people. Um, But I had just started – I was a year into my own personal learning journey in that I'd um, just finished my NLP practitioner and I was halfway through my master prac. And I think that just really opened my eyes that there was other ways to do things and other ways to be – And the corporate life wasn't the life that um, was for me. And by going freelance, uh, that allowed me just to open up to many possibilities. And I started to work as an associate for another training company. And, yeah, carried on my personal learning journey at the same time. So, yeah, then the last 11 years, I've done a blend of associate work, uh, coaching work. And then I started the School of Facilitation back in around 2014.
0: Awesome. So, so at uni, what was it you studied at university?
1: Geography. Geography, yes. right.
0: Okay. I and mean, then so you went from geography degree um, and then went into sales and marketing, is that right?
1: Yeah,
0: so correct. Sales and marketing. So I guess looking at where you're at right now within the learning development atmosphere, if you like, what would yes. you say the biggest thing what you've picked up from sales and marketing and kind of brought in and applied into into learning and development?
1: Um, I think I was really lucky at Diageo um, because I was delivering commercial learning, sales learning, and it sat within the sales team. I wasn't part of HR. That, I think, was a really useful um, place to be, so I stayed truly connected to the sales teams. So When I was coaching and developing them, I really understood what it was that they, they needed and the place that they lived lived in themselves from a work perspective. So one of the things that I'm really conscious of in working with my own clients now is to understand their world um, and getting into their businesses. It's not just saying, oh, this is the learning solution. It's actually saying, well, what is it you need? What is it you do? Who are the end users? And if I can even get into trade and spend time with sales teams, because even now I support a lot of sales teams, that makes a world of difference, I think, like stepping into the world of your learners and really understanding what it is they do. So that when you're designing, it's it's a reality for them. It makes more sense.
0: Cool. Okay. So you joined, when was it you joined Diageo again? Sorry. What was that?
1: Um, so Diageo used to be four different companies. Guinness, United Distillers, Burger King, and um, as a food division that had Hulganderts and Pillsbury. So I joined in '99.
0: Okay, cool. So it 99 you join and kind of you, you, you're working out what kind of what you're doing right there, there and then. What's, I guess, a lot of people probably don't know this, but maybe, you know, maybe give us an insight into what their hidden um, internet pages were like. Oh,
1: yeah. So, um, do what you love comes back in again in that in sort of around 2004, quite early in 2004, I got a a wedding invite to one of my best mates from university's wedding uh, in Australia. And I was like, yeah, definitely going to go to that. So um, you know, I could book three weeks off. So I did that. And at the time, internet pages, I think, were just coming into the fore. So I I think I was having a really good read round and uh, discovered this page that talked about, sabbaticals and I was like, Oh, what's one of them? Um and read up that I could get between three three months to a year off um, but still come back to the business. So I was like, oh, okay. So I remember going to my director at the time with this proposition that I'd, um, take three months off so I could go traveling around Australia and New Zealand and still come back to a job. And, um, he agreed. And then HR came back to me and said, well, actually, no. Can you take six months off? Because it's easier to do, um, a placement cover. So I said, Oh yeah, all right then. So um I did Australia and New Zealand and then went and lived in Teen in France and skied for three months. Um and sort of the age of thirty one and it was brilliant. I again do what you love because I have to say that career break was probably perfectly timed. I didn't realise that um you could do that. So that was one thing. And then I also just having time out was probably the right thing. So I never did that between school and university or university and work. So yeah, it was brilliant. And I went back into a job in the European team at DOJ and that's when I got the global role in sales capability. Nice. all worked out for the right reason.
0: So when you went traveling around Australia, is there anything, any kind of, you hear about these people who kind of go and do these things and we, we find their, not their meaning in life, but we look, we come back into say corporate world and sometimes they struggle coming back into a corporate world after, you know, going traveling. Is there anything what you picked up while traveling where, I guess, kind of changed your mindset a little bit going back into the corporate world afterwards?
1: Mm. No, but I'd been made um, figuratively redundant from the GB team. Um, and weirdly, at one point, I received an email from someone saying, I can't believe they would made you redundant. Um, it's absolutely outrageous and I just remember writing back to this colleague going wow I didn't know this so bless him and I round him up he's like oh my god you didn't know anyway it all transpired that there had been a discussion at board level and um uh, thankfully the MD stood up for me and said no no, no, she's away you can't uh, make redundant who's away. Um, I guess that made me realize no you're only a number in, in a business, um, and therefore, you know, you've got to look out for yourself and be ready to look after yourself. So when I came back, um, I didn't pursue roles directly in the GB business. I looked into Europe and global roles, which is probably the right thing because that's something you know, global sales role. So I'm, I didn't have any big pearls of wisdom, but um, that's something I did learn for myself.
0: Yeah, I think you know, you, you can hear you hear that quite a lot in corporate environments. You know, if you die tomorrow, you get hit by a bus. Somebody will just sweep up the work what you're working on, and yeah. the business will continue. I kind of guess that you know the bu- the business doesn't really have much emotion. You know, to to kind of any attachment to the people, it's just yeah. it's a machine. It's a machine. And it is where it is. So yeah, you you went from kind of so you got the global role, which yeah. you you decided was your dream job in 2005. Was it?
1: Yeah, that's correct.
0: Okay, why? Why was it your dream job?
1: Uh, because I, I'd i always wanted to be a teacher. Okay. And uh, I suddenly was like this teacher of adults. And I was like, this is really cool. Like standing at the front of the room, um, coaching people, sharing my knowledge, um, running workshops. And the added bonus was I got to travel. Um, And I was really lucky, and I have to say I'd get on many a plane on a Sunday night and say thank you um, as I I flew to China or Singapore or Bangkok or Australia or Africa or the States. And I knew I was really lucky at the age of um, 32 to be sort of flying all over the world and going and visiting different markets, having totally random experiences in some countries. Um, and visiting places that I knew, yeah, I probably wouldn't visit if I didn't have this job. So that's why it became a bit of a dream role. And also the people I was working with. So the people I got to work with, I had some great mentors in my early years, a guy called Ben Lewis, who's still a great friend and mentor now. He taught me so much uh, on the job. I would be facilitating at the front of a room. I remember this really clearly in Turkey. Um, And... I set the group off on an exercise, and suddenly this post-it note was thrust into my hand, which was behind my back, and it was classic Ben Maneuver that he would be giving me feedback in the moment and you know really stretching me to um, think about my delivery, my language, how I was showing up, and um, yeah, I had some great adventures. That was why it was my dream job. Even now, I've got a big smile on my face as I think about it. It was cool.
0: I've got a smile on my face and I, I didn't even experience it. So I think <laughs> I think the way you're talking about it, you know, it definitely does come across it it really was a good moment in your life. So I guess out of all the places you went travelling, where yeah. where's a place you would recommend for our listeners if you if you had to pick two of the places where you went, which two places would you go back to?
1: Ooh. Oh, it's oh, really stumped me. <laughs>
0: It was, um, it was always going to be an ask question that, definitely, especially with your role as well. It's, um, it's a my trick
1: brain one. is really ticking. China's amazing okay. because it is just so far off the spectrum to what we're used to in the West. And you really, I really learned to put my Western values um, behind me as I got on an aeroplane because you cannot judge what goes on in China with your Western hat. On, and I had some really bonkers experiences in in uh, southern China. Um, we got locked in a karaoke place. So karaoke is really big in China, and um, they're called KTVs, and it's a big um, channel for spirits to be sold. And um, we got locked in one of those rooms because the owner was unhappy with a comment that one of my colleagues had made. Um, so that was entertaining. Uh, we went to go into a nightclub one night and um, people were coming back out of the nightclub. And they're like, you can't go in. There's a man there with a machete. And they're like, okay. <laughs> okay. But we you turn and we head home. Um, the food's incredible in China. Um, you, you can't, it's really surreal. You can't read. <laughs> the street signs you just don't know where you are um because unless you are chinese you can read mandarin or cantonese the signs the symbols mean nothing so what you get at hotels as you're checking in the hotel staff give you a a, it looks like a business card but it's to show the taxi drivers um the name of your hotel and where you're staying and it's all written in the local um, chinese language so that you can actually get yourself back home again because you can't just jump in a taxi and in your best english however polite and slowly you talk get back home again (laughs) because it means nothing to the Chinese man who's driving me so China would be one okay Um, where else would I go back to I'd always go back down to Australia and New Zealand so I was really lucky my last business trip with Diageo was down to Sydney Um, and that was incredible to work with the team down there and just to be that was weird because again you're on the other side of the world um, you just realise how far you travelled, like 24 hours worth of travel.
0: Um, but again, amazing city, Sydney's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I've never been to Australia, but from the friends who I know who have been there, they have said, you know, the social life is kind of next level. It's where you know there's a lot, there's a lot of activities happening during the evening and stuff like that, and it's kind of it's just a little more, a little bit more social. Is that kind of your experience of Australia, or is Yeah. Uh, yeah?
1: So, outdoor lifestyle massively. So, you're there's always like a you have an extra room in your house and it's the outside. Um, and I was really lucky, I've got good friends who live down there as well. So, I was able to go and sort of stay with people for weekends um, whenever I've been down there on business. Um, and I love playing a lot of sports. So, it's easy to go running there, diving, swimming, surfing. Yes. Yeah. You
0: can do anything there. It's incredible. So you you mentioned um, was it Ben Lewis? Did you mention yeah as your mentor? So I kind of, Yep, he's one of them. Maybe. So what what kind of when I mentioned Ben's name, what's the what's the three things? What kind of jump out to when I when I mention his name as a mentor? Um, <laughs> I
1: can going listen to this as well. Um, big smiley face. Okay. Um, we both share the same surname. So whenever we would check into hotels, his fear of us being checked into the same bedroom because people would think we were married, that would be his biggest fear, which makes me laugh, Um, and his own passion for developing and growing people, Um, and that shows up in his career choices because he's still a global sales director, always with a capability angle.
0: And he'll always look to coach people and grow people. Right. Okay. I mean, I know you know when we when we spoke in the past, you know, mentoring and kind of coaching is big to you. And we'll, we'll probably yep. touch upon that later on down the line. But it's it's okay. good to know kind of the traits of a, of what you class as a good mentor. So you resigned in roundabout, was it two thousand and seven? Did you mention? Yeah. And your dance your dad's response was.
1: <laughs> Does that mean you'll lose your BA gold card? <laughs> <laughs> Stroke of genius. I honestly, I didn't tell my parents for... Um, so I made the decision to resign uh, in April 2007. I was on a workshop um, at the Queen's Club in West London. And I'd gone on this workshop for a friend because they were testing this new concept. And they said to people, look, will you just come and do this workshop with us and we just need to test that the content works. And it was all about creating really fantastic objectives So I worked on this objective all day and uh, it it goes something like it's April 2009 and I'm an NLP coach and trainer and I earn £5,000 a month. I remember writing it thinking, yeah, right. And remember, I wasn't thinking about resigning at this point. So I worked on this all day and I really worked on it and I was like, well, maybe this is a possibility. And I remember cycling home that night because I was living in London and I rang one of my mates and I was like, I've got this idea. I might leave Diageo. And she's Aussie, Simone. She's like, maybe, that's such a good idea. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah, you should do it if that's what makes you happy. So it then took another six months for me to have my notice in. So um, there's lots going on in the business and there were some really cool business trips coming up that I didn't want to miss and we were launching uh, a new academy. So I sort of timed it wisely. But yeah, I didn't tell my parents for about um, four or five months. I think I told them in the August before I resigned in the um, late September. Uh, You choose wisely who you tell as well, your plans, otherwise people have a habit of accidentally stepping on them.
0: Yeah, so I guess when when we were talking about this, I I think... Your dad's reaction kind of sums it up. You know, sometimes I, I always think it's fascinating people's reactions to you know I I'm, I'm leaving or I'm not leaving or, or, or whatever. But yeah. I think your dad's kind of summed it up because rather him say, "Oh no, you can't do that." I think you know your dad's your dad's actual statement of "Will you lose a card?" sums yeah. up kind of. He, he maybe he seen something. What you you didn't see because you were so invested into it, or maybe he knew you was making the right decision and it was perfect for you. I just, I just found it interesting. when you told me about your dad's response.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it made me laugh more than anything. because I was like, Dad, seriously, that's what you're worried about for me? I was I thought it was just really bizarre. Unless <laughs> he's cotton socks.
0: I love it. I love it. So you resigned. You hand. You resigned 2007. And before we yeah. even get going into kind of you know what comes next, 2009 was a big year for you, right? Involved a bit of sailing. Is that right?
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> it's amazing what you. I told you then I seem to keep <laughs> my memory. So I didn't take a holiday in two thousand eight because I thought well, I can't because a didn't earn enough money and b I'm sort of just starting out. But I decided that in two thousand and nine I would take a holiday and I went. Um, I went sailing in Antigua in the April. Um, and I just joined a crew and I raced and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'd never sailed before, let's just make that really clear. I was a hockey player, played a played both squash, I'd go running. So, getting on a boat in the Caribbean was a bit of a, a bonkers idea, but it was brilliant. It was a great holiday. And um, I suddenly thought, I really, I really quite like this. So, I um, came back to the UK and learnt to sail all summer. And I signed up for a race across the Atlantic in t- at the end of 2009 and I raced with a crew. Um from the Canaries over to St. Lucia in two thousand yeah November two thousand and nine, and we arrived sixteen days later in december Wow so what what kind of
0: what made you want to kind of take up well sailing what 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 provokes that i
1: I had no preconceived ideas about this one, but I have no idea even now I look back and go, why did I do that? I just really enjoyed it, and what I enjoyed was camaraderie, it's a teamwork piece um and maybe I was missing having um, a team around me immediately in the workplace because obviously when you start to work for yourself and you work on your own, there is that um, weird world that you suddenly inhabit where whilst you still know lots of people, you're on your own a lot. So being in teams is important to me. So that was either through hockey or through the sailing. So I think maybe that's where it came from. And it played to the sports as well. It was really physical and really sporty. So I guess,
0: I mean, my ignorance on this one, I've never done sailing in my life. Um, so from a challenging point of view, how how challenging is that? Is it, is it really hard? Is it what's kind of...
1: Uh- um, it depends. So there's all manner of types of boats out there. I mean, you've got the super yachts, which are beautiful, luxury, you know, crystal glass and china and fine wines, uh, all the way down to the smaller boats, which I'd like to say we are on. So we were a crew of six girls, and so you, you do everything. So you not just you can't be a passenger. So we were in watches of uh, two people, um, and you have four hours on and four hours off. So in your four hours off you sleep and four hours on you're on deck sailing the boat and doing the cooking or the cleaning. Um and really quite active. So yeah, it was good. Wow. Really good. So
0: he did this in 2009. I know. We're going to skip a few more years. Um, yeah. 2016.
1: Did it again. We came the <laughs> other way this time. We went from Rhode Island uh, back to the UK to Isle of Wight. Uh, totally different crew this time. It was a mixed crew. There were two two girls, uh, ten guys, and um, it was called an Oyster Scarlet Oyster. Uh, had a great time. We came. Uh, I think came second in our class. Um, though the I guess a bit the made it really interesting uh, is that we demasted uh, one mile to the finish line, and uh, yeah the which means the mast came crashing down onto the boat uh luckily the tide was um, going towards Belgium, if you can imagine that in your head, uh, which meant that drifted us towards the uh, finish line and because we didn't receive any outside of assistance, um, it was deemed we finished the race. Unaided, wow. so we still came second place. So it made it all quite more, all the more interesting when we finally got there.
0: Just a bit. I bet it was kind of a good. I bet it was kind of a feeling of achievement from that one. Just
1: uh, definitely, and a really great crew as well. It was a, a good crossing. But yeah, awesome. But then, yeah, there were times it's really scary. There's times it was emotional. There's times you're laughing loads, and everybody's happy. So it's, you do go through all range of emotions on on offshore races, definitely.
0: So with the people who you was doing the sailing with, were they from all different walks of life, kind of all different industries, or was it just literally a mixed bag of people who was put together, kind of? Uh,
1: no, we, the the second race, we pulled our own crew together. So we knew everybody who was racing. Uh, but uh, yeah, real mix. Some, we had... Um, Someone who is in forensics. Uh, there was a, an MD or in an automotive industry. There was an entrepreneur who does amazing stuff with solar power. In Africa, there was a, a guy who works in universities like a researcher. So, yeah, it was a real mixed bag of people. Oh, wow. Came from all walks
0: of life. I was going good. Forensics, kind of a soft spot for me. That's kind of what I did at university. Uh, so, yeah, it's oh, interesting. So, going back... Let's go back to kind of around about 2014, and guys, I'm not a star career of Kirsty. It. It's kind of just some <laughs> information I've asked about. Her. It's not like I've kind of kept a diary ever. Um, so 2014, when I asked you kind of sum up, you know, 2014, um, one of the things which jumped out to me was the stuck in a, in a bit of a bit bit of a fog. I think you called yeah. it.
1: Yeah, I use that word a fog. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it was an interesting word. So, so I guess yeah, maybe walk walk me through that.
1: What was going on? So actually I look back, I found an email. So it was late 2013 into 14. Um And I was an associate at the time and I was really happy doing lots of delivery. But um for those of us who've done associate work or maybe are associates, sometimes what happens is, well, this is what happened for me. I felt like I was on a hamster wheel and I was delivering the same content and I was no longer getting joy from this. Um And... I'd probably stayed two years too long in the associate relationship, but it served a purpose, which the guys who I worked for knew this, because um, sadly in 2011, mum died. And when you suffer a loss of a parent, a friend, a partner, sometimes it's just easier just to do what you know. And so I called it plug and play. I just stayed in the plug and play world and just did what I know. Um, but what was happening in 2011 was I was just starting to build my own client portfolio of my own clients to work with. But when um, you get sort of side side-by-side with someone dying, you're like, actually, I can't be asked to do that. And having to put all your energy into you know, building client relationships and getting to know people is secondary when you're dealing with your own grief or thinking you're dealing with your own grief, but probably just blatantly ignoring it, which I did quite well. So by the time 2013 came around, I think my unconscious was screaming at me and going, okay, I'm really bored right now. Um, Come on, curse, you know you've got stuff to offer and I think the way it outwardly manifested itself was I was just, I just felt I had no energy to do anything and I felt like I was in, either in the mud or in the fog and it's like that fog of just sort of wading through, um, just wading and one day and this is the email I found I was talking to another mentor a lady called Helen Jane Nelson who um utterly awesome woman and she has always been the person who's she she coach has coached me and we'll have those conversations that sort of says um like she doesn't it's amazing gentle style but she's really getting straight to the point of right we need to sort you out here let's have a look I'm going to introduce you and she gifted me this most amazing coaching session with someone who became my coach for two years, a lady called Judy Rocking-Smith, who's an amazing systemic constellation uh, coach and both of them are. And um, the systemic work is really great at revealing um, patterns that we repeat in our lives. It also helps you look at your family patterns and um, how we often bring our family how we bring our family situations into our workplace, um, which was quite revolutionary to be told and to look at that. So that's what started to happen in 2013. So by the time 2014 came around, um, I was working with a new coach who just was helping me look at things in a very different way and start to unlock the potential.
0: Yeah, yeah I think
1: that's what happened.
0: I spoke to a few different associates, and when I was looking at moving from. Oh, two. I kind of hmm. reached out to a few different socials and said, "Kind of how, how, how are you finding social work?" And you know, a lot of them, a lot of them were quite close friends, and they said the exact same thing. To be honest, because it was kind case of, sort of you are constantly on a bit of a wheel. It's you know, people kind of like the thing of you can pick your own work and you can go and deliver and you know what you're doing, but eventually you are kind of chasing your own tail if you don't manage it yeah. properly. And I, I guess oh, it feels a little Danny bit... Danny,
1: I- don't. I should get off on one about associate work. Right, I
0: okay. Think
1: I've got... I'll put it out there now, and I, it's a conversation I'm been thinking, like, how do I bring it out to talk to people? So I have associates who work with me, and we have, I like to think, really good working relationships. And one of the things I really honour is their brains and what they bring to the relationship with my clients. And the way I honour that is how... I pay them pro rata on the day rate. And one of my real frustrations is when I hear people who come through school of facilitation and the gatherings, and we often talk about day rates, and they're just getting paid peanuts. And I'm like, my jaw hits the floor, and I just wonder how training companies can justify paying some people like 250 quid a day. And I think it's, it just irritates me because I know they're probably getting a higher day rate by a long shot.
0: And yeah. oh, I just, yeah. It's, um, it's a really good shout and and that's kind of where the conversations tended to go. It was a case of, you know, you could be driving up and down London, you could be making your way down to London for a day rate, and actually when you by the time you get home, you've got that work-life balance. Yeah. You know, that's that's massively, you know, impacted straight away, especially if you're constantly yeah. working down London. So I kind of, yeah, it, and I feel like it could be quite isolated as a role. You know, with yours, it sounds like you've kind of got that nice... Um, family feel to it and is you know you, you completely respect them but I, a few who I spoke to kind of said you know it can be quite lonely and quite isolated.
1: Yeah I think it, yeah and again each business operates in such different models because there's no, no one way and I mean that is the beauty of having your own business. I think it's yeah I, I'm a one of my values is, is abundance one of my values is generosity um, to be generous and I guess maybe some people might say that you're too generous in your day rates. And I'm like, well, guess what? I get really great people who want to work with me and I've got awesome clients. So I think it's about I want the clients to have the best possible experience that they can have. And I also acknowledge that the people who are facilitating and delivering are are doing all the hard work at the end of the day and um, honoring them as well. And it's just that balance of exchange, of give and take. And people recognize that. So I think that's why then people come back. Our clients come back again. But um, I know that's not everybody's attitude and uh, model to this situation. Yeah, unfortunately. And and that's actually something you just said about um, associates getting a bit isolated. That was one of the other reasons I started School of Facilitation is that I really recognize that uh, on the practitioner side, we, we all often work on our own and we're quite self-sufficient but there is that need to connect and talk and find other like-minded souls who understand uh, understand the world that we inhabit and therefore I started the gatherings and we started as a breakfast club actually in London um, and I just invited lots of facilitators and trainers and coaches that I knew and said do you want to come along um, and it sort of spiralled out from there in that we do we have gatherings once a quarter so people can come along and have a good old natter but there'll always be a theme as well that we use and then also just started playing around with the virtual space and doing monthly webinars for facilitators and training and that's working really well in that people can just come and talk and connect with one another and suddenly realise they're not the only one with the same problem probably. Wow,
0: that's
1: a great thing. So, 2014
0: you, you, you're stuck yep. in this fog and you know you said you struggled to motivate yourself but over time you did and I guess what how how, how did you motivate yourself you mentioned you know you had um, is it Helen and Julie uh, yeah. yeah. so Judy so
1: Judy Rogan Smith is uh, she's based out in Austin Texas uh, except she's South African so it's a really bit bizarre now you talk talking to someone in America with a South African accent um, and I worked with her as a coach for yeah good year really looking at like what was holding me back why was I running different belief systems that I could or couldn't do something um and that really helped you know shining a light in the, the brain as to why why I was doing certain things or not doing certain things um and also just started to voice out aloud my ideas um around what does great delivery look like for a a facilitator or a trainer, what does great learning design entail, and testing that out outside of my own head with other people and realizing that it it did have a role to play and so um I think the first first breakfast meeting in London was, was like August two thousand and fifteen yeah. yeah that's right, yeah, it' was around then. It took a while, and I think sometimes that you have to go into those uh, darker spaces. You have to be a bit stuck in the mud to make you realise that you are something's not working or something's not right, and you've got to really listen to yourself to then go, okay, what can I do differently? Um, and sometimes we can't resolve it ourselves, so therefore, working with coaches or working through a problem with someone that you trust. It is the right thing to do. I genuinely believe that, and um, you can't always solve your own problems. So I read a lot as well. So I read a lot of books and articles. Um, go to TED as well. A couple of good TED TED talks never fail to motivate you. So that all helped, definitely. Okay,
0: so let's change the gears a little bit then. So these go. questions are kind of the quick fire round, but if they, if, they, oh. if they're not. Do not worry. Yep. If it's a bigger explanation, then go for it. So, okay. first question: If you were to offer a book as a gift to free people, what book would it be?
1: Do Do Purpose by David Hyatt.
0: Okay, um, and why? Uh,
1: why? Because it's. I'm just walking through. Get it? It's really. It's really simply written. There's lots of awesome big pictures. There's. Great messages that um, litter the book. One being self imposed, insanely impossible deadlines often help. Um, and it's written, I know it's written in a really candid, no nonsense kind of way, and it makes sense.
0: Okay, superb. With, I guess, with resources. So you can't use Google, you can't use YouTube, and you can't use LinkedIn. Hmm. what's the free resources you use right now
1: what free resources do I use right now yeah. uh, my own network ok my own newsletter network I reach out to people um, I use Instagram a lot so I've got quite a few connections on there and I talk to people on there and ask people to and I have conversations with them um, what else My Kindle, I lost my Kindle the other month and I was so irritated so I had to buy another one straight away. So downloading books and reading (laughs) my other resources.
0: Okay, that's good. So I guess what's, and I say I guess a lot because it's a tricky one to kind of phrase this question, but I'll just say how it is. So what's the best, what's the the worst advice you have heard in our insure being given to somebody
1: In our industry.
0: Yeah. And let's just call it, let's just be quite generic. Yeah, learn
1: development. Oh. I'm trying to think of a time that I've just sat there and rolled my eyes and gone, oh, are you kidding me? You know, it could be
0: advice to kind of what you've heard someone give to say, you need to do this, or it could be some advice to say, you should be doing this but really they shouldn't be doing that and we could be I don't know doing their own thing it's, it's
1: Danny it's, I genuinely I've either deleted it or I haven't heard any for a long time
0: that's good for me that is good for me which is good that you're not hearing it I guess is a lot better than you hearing it constantly
1: I'll tell you what if I come across anything I will email it to you and you can add it at some point yeah <laughs> so, as a footnote
0: that's fine that's fine that's fine <laughs> What's So you've gone into kind of the um school facilitation, you've got this, this is setting up now, you know, it, it's been a work in progress. So I just yeah. want to touch upon kind of what that's all about, really. So in a nutshell, if I was to ask you, explain to me what it is. Uh, yeah. Explain it to a three-year-old. How would you do yeah. that? How would you do that?
1: So... I get to work with I get to teach adults how to be really good at any subject they want to be at by showing them how to be a really good teacher.
0: Love it. Absolutely love it. <laughs> so <laughs> Oh my god. So school school facilitation it's you know yeah. it's 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 your company now. So maybe yeah. maybe just tell us a bit about that like what 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 What's your principles on design and delivery, and how do you how do you shape the great products? What you offer and the great programs and courses and and whatnot what What's like your principles behind school facilitation? Oh
1: my god, that is really funny. I um I still find my scribblings, and I wrote um I found a page that says uh, what are my principles today, and I was like, why haven't I said those out aloud for so a while? Well? Um, so one of my main principles is that um, learning should be fo- totally focused on the learners. Um, and therefore, the way you create learner-centric events should be through our language, our content, and the materials. And I've always had a belief in another one of my teachers, Tim Andrews, um, uses the language of move the spotlight from the trainer to the learner. That's one of the things I first really learned was, and I still believe it now, is it's not about us at the front of the room or behind a camera or producing virtual learning. It's about the learners themselves. So how do you take the spotlight off you and put it on the people who really need to learn? Um, What else? Less is more. I think we have to often, we're asked by our clients to put a lot of content into a half-day, a full-day session, but actually less is more. You get more done. I think also how do you create the time to learn and how do you create that passion for learning is equally important. So whether that's you designing learning, so how do you bring, how do you bring adults into that learning space? Because as adults, we all come with a package, we all come with beliefs and values. How do you acknowledge those And when you're in that space? How do you inspire them to want to engage with what, what is about to happen? Um, but also, how do we as the trainers, the facilitators and coach, how do we create our time to learn? And how do we show our passion for learning as well? Um, so those, those are some of my... Yes, yeah, so some of my beliefs. And if ever you um come along to any of my sessions, you'll see that it's firmly about the group and it's not about me in the slightest. Um I, I see us as conductors at the front of the room. They're there to bring the orchestra alive. So that's probably part of my philosophy, yeah.
0: Mm, good analogy. I like that. So when when okay, what's you have twenty people, so Twenty percent of the yeah. contacts in my phone, I dial eighty percent of the time. The other eighty percent I dial twenty percent of the time. Yeah. And if you was what's what's your biggest eighty twenty rule, maybe professional or personal? What is a, a, a small thing what you do what gives a big impact and a big return? What would be your the main eighty twenty rule you <laughs> use?
1: Um look after yourself. Okay. So um one thing I've learned to do in the last 11 years is be more selfish um, and not be selfish in a mean girl kind of way but in a I'm I'm looking after myself um, and that means saying no to other things and um, I really think we need to all learn how to resource ourselves more fully Um, and I talk about how to resource yourself mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually so that when you are working with your clients you are On fire, you know, you are totally on point. So for me, that means, um, I think about what I eat, what I drink, uh, how, how much sleep I get in a day. Um, for me, I have to do physical exercise. If I could do it every day, all day, I probably would, but, you know, going to the gym, yoga, running, skiing, sailing, that's just integral to my life. It's not, um, it's not a if; it's a must. Um, also, my own self-learning, so that resourcing piece as well. So I will. Interestingly, I wrote about it recently. I turned down a piece of work because I already had booked in my diary my own learning time, and I'd already signed on for a course that was on. Even though this piece of learning, this job came up, and they were like, "Please, can you will you come and do it?" And I was like, "No." it went against the
0: grain of my own philosophy of learning so yeah that would be my age 20 more time for yourself okay so so when you know sometimes we all have these moments where we kind of get stressed or we get we lose focus of of what we're doing and we kind of get overload is there any tips what you do to kind of switch your focus back on or maybe maybe it's a kind of what's your tips to switch off but when you do lose focus, is there anything you do to kind of bring the focus back on what you
1: need to do? Uh, get outside into nature. My thing. I notice that uh, when I'm starting to get um, either tired or frustrated or I can't see the wood for the trees, I suddenly go. Like, I remember the last time I was outside? And interesting, last week I found really hard to get motivated again after the snow, after the real cold spell. Um, so. Yeah, go for a walk or if you're a runner or a cyclist, get out on your bike, put your trainers on or just put on some decent shoes and just go out for half an hour and leave your phone at home and don't have your head down in the phone but just literally go back and reconnect with nature. I think that's... And just think about your breathing. I think that really helps.
0: Okay. So what what's the... You, you mentioned, you know... You, you, you've you kind of become a little bit more, we use the word selfish, but in the best possible way with your own yeah. time. How do you, What what's the one thing you've got better at saying no to?
1: Oh. Um. Oh. Going out. Okay. So, um, I don't know if it's an age thing as well that I cannot be bothered to go out, but um, there definitely was a time in my thirties when I was living in London that there'd be FOMO kicking off if I thought I said no to a Saturday night. Um, I think that all sort of changed though, because I now live in the middle of nowhere in the countryside, and uh, I'm really quite content saying no now, or not even making the plan to go out. Uh, that's definitely made, yeah, that's made a difference.
0: If you were to and these are just, you know, I say the quick fine yep. questions, but they never are because they're just quite good questions. But what, if you were to have a sign where you could put up anywhere you want and this sign is going to impact thousands of millions of people who walk past it on a day-to-day basis, and the idea is this sign will pro, pro, provoke a thought or, you know, the butterfly effect of what your sign, your billboard oh says, my god. what would that sign say? And it could be a quote, it could be a message, it could be anything. But what would it be? Do what you love. Do what you love? Okay. So same as your tagline. Don't be scared to do it. Oh yeah, that's good. That's good. So talk to me about what school of facilitation offers. So I, um, I, I know about it, sorry. but I want you to kind of explain it to me a bit more because obviously we've only touched on it a little bit and I know it's a massive part of your life.
1: <laughs> it's fine. Um the business is split um, in two. We have the corporates and the practitioners. So practitioners are people like yourself uh, or um, all those people out there who run their own training, coaching, facilitation business or might be an associate. Um, and I, as you might be recognizing, have a belief that if, if we are offering ourselves, our services to clients, we need to be at the top of our game and therefore we always need to be ahead of the curve. And, um, And sometimes we, because we're in the business of helping and supporting others, we sometimes forget about our own needs. And therefore, we put ourselves at the bottom of the pile. So I'm on a bit of a journey to remind people, actually, you've got to look after yourself. You need to grow your own capabilities, your own knowledge base when it comes to facilitation and training. Um, And therefore, we offer a variety of things now, so there's the free online resources, there's the webinars once a month on a Monday morning, um, there are uh, one-day classes, so if you want to um, dip your toe into how to design great learning workshops, meetings, we've got a one-day design class, do the delivery practice as well, so um, I don't know, Danny, anyway, when was the last time someone watched you deliver a workshop and someone you trusted and gave you feedback?
0: Um. Not. Oh, it's a good question. So I guess probably about two months ago. The reason behind that is, is at, when I deliver now, I well, when I deliver, I kind of don't really. It's very specific what I deliver, but I always try yeah. to bring in my mentor, especially when I the first oh. time when I bring it in. Yeah. Just so that I have, I already have that relationship, and he can be brutally and honest with me. Um, and
1: not everyone thinks like that, Danny. So you get a gold star but um, a lot of us who work on our own if you ask that question of some of your um, future suppliers when was the last time someone gave some feedback on your delivery often it's like oh uh, I haven't had any for a very long time so the delivery class is that space for you to come and practice and play and just get some feedback on how you're showing up but because there's another five or six people in the room with us we get to see lots of different styles so there's a great learning there um, we've got some new classes coming up, which is quite exciting, on graphic. how do you, I love my posters, so how you use posters and graphics, and one on language. So it's just about creating spaces for the other facilitators and trainers, though, to come together, meet like-minded people, and just keep growing themselves, but also connecting so you don't feel like you're on your own. On the corporate side, um, it's working with businesses that – want to deliver their own learning in-house, which um, I come from that school of thought at Diageo and totally buy into it. But what you're finding is it's the managers who are being asked to step up suddenly into a trainer-type role or a facilitator-type role. And that's not what they signed up to do in their job. They could be a sales person. They could be a marketer. They could be finance. And so suddenly they're like, oh, you want me to do what? So going and um, doing some really simple training with them on their language, their use of energy, the room, um, content design. So working with corporates that way. And also, um, because my background is sales, um, I do support quite a few corporates to launch their global sales academies. Um, and resource them and find them um, external facilitators and trainers around the world. So just a very different side, but equally fun.
0: Wow! So the the sessions where you kind of get all the other facilitators together and we can, you give them that safe environment to practice, maybe is yeah. is, is that done face to face? Is that is that what you use the virtual the virtual webinars for? How 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 does that brought together? Uh,
1: that's face to face. At the moment, so no, it's a good
0: question actually, so they're face-to-face sessions. Okay, and web, website, what's your website for this, for your school of... dot com? Oh
1: wow, <laughs> I kind
0: really
1: of knew that one, didn't I? <laughs> so you didn't look at that one. <laughs> I won't
0: take it
1: personally.
0: No, I do, I did look at it, I was just like, I want you to say it. you know, own your own message,
1: <laughs> whats <laughs> what? I love it. If
0: in your whole, let's just say end to end, maybe in your whole working environment, in your whole working life, if I said to you, you can only do two parts of your whole job and you have to do them for the rest of your life, what two parts would it be? What two hours would it be, sorry? Not two parts, what two hours? Two
1: hours? Yeah. So it's the same two hours all
0: the time? Yeah, exactly that. What two hours of your whole working career would you do?
1: Uh, what
0: two hours that I've already had? Yeah, so for me it might be it might be two hours of just I don't know. I know what my sweet spot is. My sweet spot's creative thinking and design. Um, mm-hmm. I love delivery, but I actually love brainstorming and coming up with creative wacky ideas. So uh, I, mine would be that the, the brainstorming and like the, you know the wacky ideas. But yours will be completely unique to you. So I'm just wondering oh what it would be.
1: That's not fair. <laughs> It would be a gathering, a mini two-hour gathering.
0: Okay. Good, good comeback there, Kirsty. Good comeback. I like that one. So you talk about gathering, okay? Why? Yeah. Why did you pick that?
1: Because, A, it's always a passionate group who want to be there for their own, like, learning, connecting, meeting new people, Um, and, the conversations just go off on different tangents, but they're always around learning, development, training, facilitating, running your own business, um, clients, how to deal with problems. And But they're never the same conversations, so it makes it really interesting. And it's always a really passionate group of people that show up as well, so you just get great conversations. Okay. Yeah, it's always stimulating and also what i love is hearing stories afterwards that um people have connected outside of those meetings of those gatherings and they've gone on to have their own telephone calls or gone to other events together or even in some instances started working together so that that to me is really exciting that i've helped facilitate that
0: okay good good and just kind of as just a follow up on that one then. so you get these, these and I call you know your little I call them scrums for some reason it's because of a new terminology but you get these these big groups yeah. of people coming together and I guess yeah, maybe maybe let's know let's widen it out a bit has there ever been kind of an idea which you've seen and this can be literally anything in the whole world is there ever mm-hmm. an idea what you've seen a lot launched or maybe it's a piece of training what you've seen and you've gone god damn it I wish I'd come up with that idea what piece would it be <sighs> And, just to make it extra, extra hard, you can only come up with one.
1: <laughs> God, you're a right pain in the arse, aren't you? <laughs> um I think someone else do that's made me go, oh, I wish I did that? Does you have to be within training or it can be in anything? It can be in absolutely anything. I feel so boring and dull, I can't think of anything. What do I really... think of anything off the
0: top of my head Danny that's far too hard okay that's fine we'll, we'll swerve that one for now So yeah let's swerve and come back
1: if we need
0: to yeah definitely I think um, these questions I've I picked them because they're hard so do not worry if you can't come to it I know for a fact I probably wouldn't like to be asked these questions myself <laughs> um but I, I guess what's something what you've learned recently and how have you learned mm. it how have you learned it um
1: uh, um, so, I have been learning about um, systemic constellations in the last two years, and the way I have learned it is um, three different, four different ways. Um, firstly, um, being coached using that methodology. So, that gave me a real insight as to what it was like to be the receiver of a constellation. I've then been um, actually gone and learnt more deeply about uh, systemic constellations and have been, um, I've done three three years of learning in family practice and then uh, organisational practice. Uh, then I'm reading books and then also practising by delivering. Okay. Or learning by delivering.
0: Like that. Learning by delivering. So, I guess we're kind of coming to the one hour mark now. So I've just got a couple more questions and then I can let you go. Okay, uh, so... Question one.
1: Yeah.
0: When you was a child and you was in school and the teacher would ask you what you wanted to be when you grew up, and I know we've talked about teaching in the past, but what would you normally say?
1: Uh, Be a teacher.
0: Be a teacher. Be a teacher. Okay. So we know, you know, we never stop growing and we never really grow up, we're constantly growing. So if I was to ask you that question now.
1: Yeah.
0: And I say to you, what do you want to be when you grow up? What would the answer be? Me. Yes best answer so far that one cursor. best answer so far <laughs> thank you that's brilliant um, so 80 years time in 80 years time you kind of you know 80 year old you over there and it's giving you a piece of advice right now what's the piece of advice they would give you what you're still struggling to take um, it's okay to be you and
1: it's okay to accept the gifts you've got
0: I love it. I love it. So, where can I? Where can people find out a bit more about Kirsten, a bit more about School of Facilitation? Where can we go?
1: Uh, website: Schooloffacilitation.com dot com. Okay. Uh, come and find me on Instagram. Yep. School of Facilitation. Um I have far too much fun uh on there. I just really enjoy making Insta stories and also uh just putting up photographs and musings. Um also um I'm on LinkedIn. But that's under Kirsty Lewis. Okay.
0: And Twitter. Awesome. I'll link everything. Cool. I'll link everything in the show notes anyway, just so that they've got them direct links. But um cool. for me, Kirsty, I wanna say a personal thank you. I know when I very first started out in my last recent job um you you reached out to me and kind of we had a call and you kind of set my nerve a little bit and you recommended a book and stuff so just from a personal point i'd like to say thank you for that
1: oh my pleasure
0: it it was um it was the right amount at the right time i think and uh yeah that call was perfect very good awesome because well other than that i think i think we are done it
1: uh, Excellent, thank,
0: thank you. No, thank you. Thanks for taking the time out. I'll speak to you soon. Cheers, Danny. Cheers. Yeah, take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. So Kirsty, okay, so, so at the start I asked you to pick some numbers, five numbers. You yeah. picked one, nine, seventeen, twenty-two, and eight,
1: and nine.
0: Okay, and yeah, and nine. So here's the things. Them numbers are tallied to um, some random objects. So you're stuck in a desert island, yeah. and these objects you have picked are number nine was a glow stick. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, number one was a spoon.
1: Yeah.
0: Number seventeen was a bookmark. Perfect. Number number twenty two was a sharpie marker. Oh, and, awesome. <laughs> and number eight was a slipper. So you're stuck on a desert island and it's literally a case of what do you do with these items? Go for it. Well,
1: wow. being a facilitator. I take the Sharpie pen. I'm in seventh bloody heaven, aren't I? So I would be finding anything that I could draw on, probably rocks, and uh, be um, creating things with my Sharpie pen. The glow stick would probably be around my wrist or around my head by that point. Um, The spoon, um, I love cooking and eating. So I guess I tried to use that to make something or to eat something. Um, the bookmark well i stuck on a desert island I would have been allowed to have brought the bible and Shakespeare's greatest works just like a desert island <laughs> disc so um, I'd be using that to mark my pages and a slipper I, I just now have an image of hopping around on one foot <laughs> up a beach
0: I love it I love it right well Kirsten, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um,
1: My pleasure too, Danny.